You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 33. You can almost make a case that any technology that comes along gets used by one side first, and then the other side learns how to beat them at their own game. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. All right, welcome, welcome. It's a good day. I'm not going to comment, you know. I'm not going to comment on the weather all the time. This is a weather show. But, to, oh my God, today had the best weather in New York City. I was out in Prospect Park, you know, which is a good place to be in New York City because it's just, it's kind of like being on open fields and, you know, you could smell fall coming. You could smell the leaves. It's nice and cool. It's like 65 degrees. It's just a perfect way to... I don't know. It's the perfect way to uh, get your head on straight today. So before I get started talking about today's show, which I would I would characterize today's show as entertaining. I know I always say that it's a good show. You know, sometimes I say it's an interesting show. Sometimes I say it's an informative show. Sometimes I say that this show is really important. You know, this this episode is all of these things, but today it's particularly entertaining, I think. So if you've been listening to The Local Maximum and you like this episode, uh, this is a good one, in my opinion, to share on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. Even though we like scour those guys thoroughly in this episode, uh, they actually won't stop you from sharing it. So that's a good thing. Uh, so appreciate, I, I appreciate all of you who have been sharing uh, The Local Maximum episodes and leaving five-star reviews as it is. And I'm really happy with the quality of this show today. So I just thought I'd ask uh, because this is a good one to share. So I don't I don't ask every episode for those of you who know. All right. So um, not because I don't like every episode, but because I don't want to ask you to share. You know, every single time it's getting. I know it can get old. So also uh, listen to the end of the show. I have an exciting announcement about the local maximum. So you'll get to hear about that. That'll be fun. All right. Let's start jumping into it. This is part two of my discussion with Aaron. Last week, uh, we talked about my six weeks off and what I plan to do in those six weeks. And then after that, we recorded this next show, which you're about to hear. So that's 10 days ago, or I think 11 days ago, um, which is, and this show is more of our usual thing to talk about current issues in the news. Now, yes, I know we've already covered bias and censorship, and this is kind of a continuation of that discussion. But today we get into the effect these things are having on our political system. So, you know, call it effect on our democracy, if you will. Maybe you could say the effect is having our democratic process and how we see emerging technology and these power, powerful uh, tech companies affecting our political process in the near future. And, you know, when these companies are censoring people, shutting people out, important question is, is this the equivalent of a private business throwing out an unruly customer? Like I go to Dunkin' Donuts and sometimes people come in and bother me when I'm eating my egg and cheese wake up wrap and they, uh, they actually don't get thrown out. They just, they kind of stay there. But if Dunkin' Donuts did throw them out, then it's just a private business looking out for their customers. So is big tech doing that? Or are they trying to do the bidding of government or interest groups that are odds with their customer base? Or are they just so big and complicated that they can't do a good job of this? These are important questions to ask and things that we want to wrap our heads around. So let's get into it. Ads, bias, censorship, democracy, my only four-part title. All right, Aaron, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back again. 
Yes, this has been the fastest turnaround time between recording of podcast shows that we've ever had in the program. <laughs> I think it clocks in at what, 20, 30 seconds, something like that. Well, through through the miracle of, of uh, podcasting and, and audio editing, it'll seem much longer to our listeners. Yeah, yeah. All right. So there are a few articles that we want to discuss today that are related to, it's always good to like go back and talk about some of the issues that are occurring today and to relate them back to some of the past um, past issues that we've been discussing on the program. So first of all, let's talk about this um, Make Me Smart podcast. You're into that podcast, right? You listen to it quite regularly? Because yeah, this is the first that I- I, I am a regular yeah. listener and uh, I don't know if I went back and listened to everything for the beginning because they kind of had a pre-launch period, but I've I've- I'm fairly certain I've heard all of their regular episodes in the the last. I think they're in season two of it now. So it actually sounds very good, but this is the first I'm I'm hearing of it, and you recommended it to me because you said in this particular episode, you know, they were basically saying they were confirming everything that I said, and if I like one thing, I love people who <laughs> confirm everything that I said. So, <laughs> so um, it's a very human weakness. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they were talking about Facebook and um, and Twitter and the bias that is inherent in all these companies. Um, I don't know. Do you want to kind of uh, summarize what they said or should I? Uh, so you, you give it a spin and I'll, I'll see if there's anything I need to fill in there. <laughs> so they were really saying that these companies were kind of saying, okay, we're going to solve these problems, and these problems is actually a very broad set of problems that are quite different from each other because there's fake news, there's trolling, there's hate speech, there's spam, there's all sorts of, uh, let, let's say, attacks on these networks that we're kind of all lumping together as bad com- content or problematic content. And the leaders of these companies who... I think actually sometimes the engineers really know what needs to be done. And then some of the leadership don't really understand social networks as much like the, the, which is, you know, it kind of, um, I mean, kind of scary that, you know, the, but actually it's probably true in most tech companies, the leadership of the company don't understand the technology or the social aspects of it as much as the engineers and the people working in the trenches do. But they often say, oh, we're going to use machine learning and we're going to solve these problems and it'll all be good in like five to 10 years. Um, and I think what Make Me Smart is pointed out, like, no, your problem is not a machine learning problem. It's not a problem of we're just, our, our algorithms aren't smart enough. Our problem is that our people are biased and not just political bias. It could be, you could be biased in many ways. It's just biased to how the people at your company think or how they do, or what they don't think about. As I mentioned, you know, um, there's QA bias, which is the stuff that you're not thinking about as a company is always, you know, passing through the cracks. Whereas the things that you do think about, you will fix. Um, so yeah, I thought that was spot on. Yeah. I, I, th- I think, uh, well, well, two things. One, one you mentioned that you know often the leadership is is a little bit out of touch of how these things actually work in a technical sense, and and in a lot of places, I think that's that's very true. I think it's harder to make that argument at like a Facebook though, because Zuckerberg has kind of been in the trenches from the beginning. But one of the things that I I think the hosts on Make Me Smart have yeah, but he's so distant from it now. 
Well, yeah, and and yeah. one of the one of the points they've they've kind of made on a recurring basis is does Zuckerberg really understand what Facebook has evolved into and and what its role is and and their the conclusion they seem to keep coming to is is no, he doesn't really have a good grasp on it and it's kind of a beast out of control. Uh, and 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 yeah. I think that may be very much the case in a lot of these large tech companies, social media empires that they've, they've created something they don't entirely know how to control uh, or, or are uncomfortable with the ideas of, of how to control it. And, yeah. and but there's the, there's the founder CEO, but yeah, I mean, look, the company leadership has all sorts of functions into it. And this is normal and, and probably expected, but there's, there's marketing, there's sales, there's not everyone's going to understand public relations. Not everyone is going to have the same understanding of the system as, as everyone else. Um, but yeah, I think that um, it's so complicated. Any of these systems are so complicated that no one person can understand it uh, completely. And we know even in the small case of Foursquare, that's true. So in this, these bigger cases, it must be true times 100. Yeah. And, and a, a big part of it is that they're so unwilling to admit that there are biases there because bias is, is such a – to use the term is a trap because admitting that there's bias doesn't make you evil, uh, but – but if there is bias and you're denying it's there, then that makes you kind of, I, I hate to use the term complicit because that's got so many other connotations. I, I feel like, yeah, yeah. I, no, no. I feel like if you say you're biased, it's like, oh, you're biased. Okay. That means you have to listen to so, like, oh, if you're biased, that means you have to listen to the government almost, or you have to listen to like these outside consultants because you're biased. And that's not the point because the people that you'd be listening to are also biased. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it makes me think of the the old uh, Monty Python. Bit. Wait, like, I, I feel like I can can, can I just oh, oh go I, ahead, I was going to say there's there's it. the bit you know see see the see the violence. Far be it for me to interrupt <laughs> a Monty Python reference. You you can see the violence inherent in the system, and and I I think the the response here is you can see the bias inherent in the system, and because because it's there that you it's yeah. it's it's virtually impossible to build a system that doesn't have biases, but. If you refuse to acknowledge that they exist, then you can't, you know, take them into consideration and account, and 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 use that as as part of your of how you how you consume that information. I guess the 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 problem for me is if they do admit their bias and they say, "Oh, we admit it, we're biased," so don't worry, we're going to fix this. We're going to hire a consultant and. You know, things are going to be good. And then it's like, no, you're totally missing the point. You're always going to be biased, you know? And so that's why I'm working on this subjective tagging system, at least a prototype during my sabbatical, uh, to try to build something that, you know, assumes that everyone has bias and try to, tries to, you know, tries to reconcile that and tries to um, assume that, you um, certain tags are subjective and then it kind of helps you fall into the area that you think is subjectively right. But that's not the approach that these companies are taking. Although I have seen some quotes from Twitter on the, that was the episode I, I uh, recorded from Belfast, the one that was um, about the great Twitter purge. 
we spoke about how uh, one of the engineers, was it an engineer or was it someone else? I don't know what it was, but one of the quotes from the article suggested that they did get it. And then all the other quotes suggested that they did not get it. And so it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's... Even they if they found a- somebody that hadn't been briefed by... Uh- by the PR department on what to say. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, that's the problem, right? If somebody comes up with an idea, you never know what's going to get implemented. It's always, uh, I mean, essentially it's up to the engineers who implement it and, you know, who they're going to be pushed around by. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I think this this harkens back to something that, that we talked about a little bit before. I, I think it was around the time of of the, the first round of uh, – Facebook congressional uh, testimonies um, with, with how to fix some of these issues. And, and a lot of times it was uh, implementing a, a kind of a patch to how the algorithm works. Uh, And, and the example that they called out specifically, um, I think it was their, their guest on, on the show was talking about uh, a Google search uh, several years back uh, where you typed in a, uh, I think it was if you were searching from the holo- for, for something about the Holocaust, and the first autocomplete option that came up wa- was uh, uh, "Holocaust never really happened." And yeah, and I've ran into s- many more people online who believe that than I would have liked. And and so uh-huh. when that was brought to Google's attention, they quote unquote fixed it. But the way they fixed it was that they just patched it so that that particular you know, set of autocompletes didn't pop up on, you know, first anymore, but, but they didn't actually change what had the underlying process that had resulted in those getting fed up, you know, through the chain. So it's not going to prevent that type of problem from happening in a slightly different, but perhaps similar situation. I mean, that's totally the startup culture, right? If something looks bad, I, we've, I, and I will fully admit, we've done this thing at, at, at Foursquare a lot. If some result looks bad, then we simply have some special cases to make it not look as bad so we're not embarrassed. Because well, we sometimes don't think you about a quick solution. And yeah, we don't think about the underlying problem. But these companies are so big, so mature that they should be focused on the underlying problem at this point. Yeah, it's it, it opens a lot of of kind of Pandora's boxes, but it, we we we'd like to think we deserve better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next article. Related, all of these are related, actually, uh, and this is from the MIT Technology Review: Why the Pessimists Are Winning for Now. Did you get a chance to read this? I one? I did. So uh, the. The uh, the current issue of of the technology review is is actually their their politics issue, and so it talks a lot okay. uh, about social media and technology and how uh, one one of their big thrusts is what looked so great back in the the Arab Spring uh, and and kind of that era, and we thought was going to revolutionize the world, and how it has failed so utterly, and not only didn't give us the results we want, but it's it's kind of being turned around and used for the very opposite of what we thought it would. Um, and, and yeah. so the, the link there is, is to, I think the, uh, the editors, uh, um, kind of the, the, the letter from the editor that, that kicks off that, that issue, but it, there's, I'm, I'm still working my way through it, but there is a lot in there and I've, I've been reading through it with a highlighter, uh, 
calling out some some key passages oh. that I, I want to bring up on a future episode. So so this this can almost oh, okay. be a teaser to to some some deeper stuff we can get into there because yeah they, as as they point out in the article they are just as guilty as everybody else of having thought that that this was the next best greatest thing that you know like, like I said the Arab Spring that this was going to you know, Twitter was going to bring democracy and revolution to to totalitarian regimes, and then, uh, as we've talked about before, that the Obama campaign's use of uh, internet savvy and social media, and 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 in particular, Facebook, was going to revolutionize uh, political involvement and how campaigning works in America. And and they were right on that, but the <laughs> they, the, were, they right. were not right in the way they thought they were uh, in a post twenty sixteen world. <laughs> Well, let's let's uh, look at this from the perspective of somebody who's a big fan of President Obama and really can't stand President Trump. Let's say, get into that mindset for a second. Um, there may be a few people who think that way. <laughs> so um, <laughs> more than a few, basically everyone in the industry and everyone who's writing this stuff. It, it seems to me you've got to put forth the hypothesis, maybe I'm wrong here, that in 2008, 2012, Big data is the savior of democracy. And then in 2016, this same technology is destroying democracy. Is this just a matter of, well, when it elects my guy, it's good. When it elects someone else, it's, it's destroying the whole system. Um, and, or is it, is it not that? Is it, um, is, it, is it something deeper than that? I mean, I hope it's not that shallow. I, I think there's a certain element of of um, kind of first to the pole here, um, uh, using that that term in the racing sense, not the political polling sense. Um, that if if you figure out how to use this new technology first and best, then you need to make sure that you use it first and best so overwhelmingly that you secure your advantages for longevity, because it's only a matter of time before the quote unquote the other side figures out how to use it to their advantage as well, and in a Isn't this, you know, least, yeah. in a least dramatic scenario, they level the playing field. Uh, but in in what we may have seen in 2016 is that they can swing the pendulum back their their way, and and they've found a way to to use it even better than you did the time before. Yeah, uh, and 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 we've we've seen that. Uh, uh, there, there's one one of the articles I, I've I've read so far is, is looking at the Arab Spring side that uh, there are these countries in in. Uh, uh, the kind of Southwest Asia and the Middle East uh, region where the totalitarian regimes were, were kind of on the ropes because of these protesters organizing over Twitter, but they have found ways to use Facebook and Twitter and social media to now uh, more effectively persecute uh, the political dissidents in, in their country and, and those who've been exiled abroad. So, so couldn't it be said that this is the same for any piece of technology, particularly communications technologies out there? It could be used for good and bad. It's just a tool. And just to give some examples from American political history, like talk about radio. Radio, I love, I love radio. You know, Republicans <laughs> uh, were very effective, I believe, at using radio in the 1920s. Um, in, in the 1920s, um, got elected by huge margins. FDR comes along, beats them at their own game. You could think of JFK. He looks good on TV. Ronald Reagan comes from TV. 20 years later, he sweeps it. You know, so this hasn't 
I feel like you can almost make a case that any technology that comes along gets used by one side first, and then the other side learns how to beat them at their own game. And it's happened both one in one direction and the other with one party figuring out before, but it doesn't matter who figures it out. It's, you know, our political system is adversarial. So whatever tools are at their disposal, both sides are going to end up using and it does reach equilibrium. Like it or not, that's the system. I mean, that's, that's the way our democracy has always worked. So it's, I I don't see that it's being destroyed. You might like the way it works and you want to change it, but like it's, it seems like it's working the same way as things are playing out the same way they have throughout history. Uh, it, it it may seem like the and and this is something that's that's been brought up in in the context of politics in general. But it, it may seem like the oscillations are getting more and more severe. So uh, it's it's kind of a not a positive feedback system, but but uh, there's there's energy being imparted to the pendulum somehow that is that is not. Uh, not was not originally present. So I don't know if I agree with that though, because is it like I mean that's the feeling I guess, but like so it's certainly yeah, not more. I, severe. I don't have statistics to back that yeah. up. It's certainly not more severe in terms of numbers. Like in for the United States, we're still like a fifty-fifty country, and we're not getting these huge landslides that we used to at previous times in our history. Now you might say it's more extreme in terms of um, the political ideologies are getting more extreme, yeah, I, but I, I there, you could point to other times in history. There, there could be an argument to be made that the, the lack of uh, landslide elections is, is actually a sign that we are becoming more extreme um, hmm. in, in that there, there are no longer um, centrist candidates who can secure a landslide uh, uh, you know, number of votes or, or number of electoral college votes Right. Uh, and and so what appears to be a more even split is 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 actually more well I, I guess more polarized and more extreme are not necessarily the same thing although it seems they are uh, linked in in the current situation yeah yeah uh, that is that is a hypothesis that I can kind of get behind I can kind of see I can kind of see where 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 that comes from I think that's I, I think that could be right. Um, now I, I also want to point out, so one of the tools that's being used is this targeted advertising. Um, and that's sort of what we're talking about, uh, that, that both, both campaigns have used, uh, people around the world are using it, particularly on Facebook, very controversial. (laughs) Now as an insider working on ads for a little bit, um, I'm actually shocked. People have this, people have this idea that we have a down to a science as to how, like, we know who we're targeting and we know how we're going to change their mind. And it turns out that this is not a science at all. Um, as I talked about yesterday in causality, we have no idea whether any particular ads uh, changed anyone's mind in the election. Uh, there are no good studies on that, um, no proofs of that. And we even know with Facebook, I was reading an article the other day how Facebook says they have more people they can target that are in the United States that are like their number of people that they could target in the United States are more than the people in the United States. I'll have to bring that up. (laughs) But like half the time when they tell you, oh, here's a person who lives in New York and went to this school and goes to um, Starbucks regularly and 
buys lots of shoes. It's not always true. They don't know. And so sometimes advertisers, um, and we see this all the time, advertisers do try to target one group and they don't target based on science. They target based on intuition, which is the best you can do. And not, not that that doesn't work. I mean, look, if I'm selling shoes, I want to sell to people who buy lots of shoes or are willing to spend more on shoes, you know, and um, depending on what kind of shoes they are, if they're expensive shoes, I want to sell to people who have a little extra income, you know, so um, it's, uh, they, they do use intuition, but that's all that it's not scientifically based. And sometimes they screw up. Sometimes they think they're targeting one group and it ends up not working either because their intuition was wrong or because the group that they said were being targeted, it, wasn't actually being targeted. So it's, it's totally, um, it's, it's not like a Batman all seeing eye God mode type thing. They're still bumbling around, which is a good way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a silver bullet or, or, you know, a, a surgical precision, uh, application, but, uh, it, it is a huge step beyond, uh, the, the previous method, which was, uh, you know, kind of generating a message that you could broadcast wide and yeah. that you would expect uh, pretty much everyone from, from both sides is going to see this. So you have to make sure that it appeals to the, the widest swath there and also uh, doesn't have the, the uh, doesn't drive away as many people as possible. But if, if you can, segment that a little bit not only can you tailor your message a little bit more but uh in a world where advertising dollars are, are uh, in many ways considered uh the equivalent of of speech and the more dollars is the more volume and the more effective that speech is going to be uh you want to make sure you're using that most effectively and so by targeting yeah. those who who you think are most likely to be uh receptive to your message that's much more efficient than taking that same message and just pumping it out to everybody uh, you know, whether it's yeah. on network television or primetime radio and, you know, a, a huge chunk of that audience is is just going to kind of tune you out. Yeah, yeah. But a as we sit here in 2018, we've gone from completely random spraying out your message to bumbled targeting, which is still a huge step forward from the advertiser's perspective. But we're not in this general AI thing yet where you know, we know how to create an agent to say exactly what needs to be said to convince you of something. That's not, uh, people don't know how to do oh, that, that. That that brings to mind uh, an interesting question that came up in my, my personal life. Uh, I guess it was about a week ago, um, week and a half ago. Uh, so we had our, our primaries here in Massachusetts. Um, oh, we had, yes, we had ours on, on Thursday. Excellent. On uh, did did September you vote? 13th. Uh, no, there was no one to vote for. Oh, well, my, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a little disappointing. Um, yeah. So Massachusetts uh, has a system which, which it may differ from, from a number of other states, but uh, in, in Massachusetts, if you are what they consider unenrolled, which means you are registered to vote, but you are not a uh, registered member of one of the political parties, then you get to choose which uh, which ballot you would like to uh, to vote on at the primary. Uh, and, and so okay. I fall into that category. So I, I showed up at the primary and I had the option I could uh, I could select the the Democratic ballot, yeah, the that's Republican why ballot, we, or the Libertarian ballot. And there I don't think there yeah, was a green rainbow I, I party this year. But I wasn't registered Democrat, which I needed to be. Um, 
in order to vote on the contentious Cuomo versus Cynthia right. Nixon. But that um, that wasn't even worth. I mean, they weren't even close. So well, so so the. But anyway, the, the the question that I have is is so when I show up they they do the thing where they they ask you what street you live on and they check you know they they look up your name and they check you off you know to confirm that you are indeed a registered voter in that precinct um, and and when they saw I was unenrolled they asked which ballot I would like and and I told them which one and they wrote down a note next to my name saying which ballot I took and and they did the same thing after I voted you know when I fed my paper ballot into the machine and they they said okay which you know which which ballot did you take and they noted it down next to my name that I I checked out I was really curious who has access to that information because in a state like Massachusetts where I don't know if it's that unenrolled is the largest single uh you know group of of voters or if it's that unenrolled is more than republicans and democrats registered combined um, but but either way, unenrolled is a huge portion of the electorate in Massachusetts. But if you were able to tell not only what percentage of those unenrolled people voted on a Democratic ballot versus a Republican ballot, but also to know exactly which people voted on those ballots, uh, that could be quite valuable information come the general election or come redistricting or, or any number of things there. And and I didn't realize necessarily that that information might be available uh and 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 it's entirely possible that that this Wait. isn't. It might be that they use those only for the purposes yeah. of making sure that the same number of you know Republican ballots and Democrat ballots that came in went out, and then they destroy those paper records after the election. Uh, but but I'm not entirely sure. That's scary. That's not. That's yeah. not well, so they they don't know work, who but... I voted for because they 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 can't pair. Uh, well, except for the ten people who voted on the libertarian ballot in my town, they probably have a pretty good idea exactly how they voted because there's only ten of them. Uh, but yeah, but so they they don't know. <laughs> I voted in some very small elections before where I've changed the outcome. But but, I'll talk but, about but knowing time. which which party's ballot I selected uh, could could be very useful and influential information. And I I personally don't know uh, how that information is is protected or or who it is available to. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, back before we had the, um, the scanned in ballots back in 2006, I believe was the first year I voted in New York and it was the old with with the big lever. I don't, yeah, it looked like it was built in like (laughs) 1890 or something. And so I wrote some people in and I noticed, and I was very careful with who I wrote in. Um, essentially I just wrote in friends of mine for, uh, for judge since those were un. so the, the way it works in New York is you vote on judge, but there's yeah. only one option. So I was like, you know what? I'll just write in people and yeah, it'll be fun. And I noticed that they permuted my votes when the ballots came in because they write down who got write in votes. Oh. And so I, and so I'm like, well, they my vote was counted wrong. There's proof, at least there's proof for me. But um, yeah, m- mistakes do happen all the time. Um, so where are we going with this? Uh, what we we don't know how to target ads, well, and we don't know how to vote. Yeah, we we were talking about how how precise these actually are, and and that they're they're better than they used to be, but but it's not as as foolproof as as some people have. Yeah maybe made it sound. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very tough to say, oh, these ads caused this. I think a lot of people tend to think that way and it's, it's just not. Just yeah. Think- and, and, and like you were talking about on last, or I, 
maybe it's two weeks ago, the, the episode on, on causality, yeah. it's, it's hard to even design an experiment or, or, a, or an observational study that, that would allow you to confirm that. Right. Right. Uh, you, you can get you can get a lot of correlation and and maybe draw some conclusions based on that, but causality is a much harder bridge to cross. Yeah. Okay. So another thing in this in this MIT article that I wanted to point out is they say that when people get into these groups, the extremists tend to be much louder, and so that could be a problem. But they also say that people have found that certain rules in these communities can kind of um, encourage people to form consensus. It wasn't very specific, but I kind of agree. Um, so uh, that's just from my intuition. Um, I also want to point out that sometimes like they're the people who are correct are a minority and they tend to be loud too. And so that could be a good thing in the long run, like it could help us reach the truth longer. I'm not saying it's like you said, like the, the whole, the Holocaust denial people are also very loud uh, but I don't know. Maybe yeah, I mean, so yeah. extremism is usually shorthand for being wrong, but right. but it's not in in inherently so. Right, you can exactly. be an extremist on a position and very much be correct. Right. Um, we've we've seen plenty of examples counter to that, so that's that's kind of where our our mental shorthand goes first. But. Yeah. Um, and then so they they do have a link to a visualization of the so-called filter bubble and even if in their own visualization i found it is not a bubble it is all mixed up like <laughs> you see people like and they divide it out by political group and you see people all mixed up all over the place so i think people come across different points of views some of the points of views we come across are, are annoying and waste my time i get it but um it's I don't think filter bubble is is a very helpful term actually at this yeah, point. Yeah, well and and I don't know if it was one of the articles in in the technology review or if it was uh a discussion on on make me smart, but I I I've seen a couple of things in the last week or two talking about how uh the the idea of the filter bubble um the the bubble exists but it's not it's not the way we think it is that uh People are actually being exposed to a wider range of ideas, uh, but they're just not. Uh, and, and we've talked before about how how it, the way you're exposed to an idea, especially if it's counter to your your current uh, your your beliefs, your 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 priors, uh, psychologically that that influences how you're going to react to it, whether you're going to dig in against it or whether it'll kind of move the needle. Um, and, and I think they're saying that we're exposed to more diverse ideas, but they tend to serve the purpose of only further confirming our pre-existing beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. That person's so crazy. Might as well just stay away. Um, yeah. There, there was something else as well about how um, the, the issue with the bubble isn't so much that we're only hearing uh, one idea. It's that, that when we talk amongst people who share our ideas, we tend to shift more towards the extreme in that kind of subconsciously. And I, see, I don't know. I, I, find, I, I need to do more reading on that to, to fully understand what's going on there. See, I find something different. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I find that when I find like-minded people on one issue and I say, oh, these people are sane on this one issue, they, those same people can be totally insane on, a, on other issues that um, – other areas of, of, of life. And so that maybe helps me get out of my filter bubble a little bit. Maybe I just have un, 
like views that don't often go together. But um, I, I I do feel like I, I'm not always agreeing with the same people, and that sort of um, changes my you know my experiences when I'm when I'm talking to people. If that it, makes any it sense, kind of makes me think of the Gelman uh, am, or the excuse me the Gelman amnesia effect uh, that. You, you, someone, in in essence, if, if you know a lot about a subject, then you can easily identify where people are right and where people are wrong on it. Uh, but when it gets out of your area of expertise, it you you no longer have the ability to to make that distinction. And so, based on uh, what they've said in other completely unrelated areas, you may tend to believe or not believe them, even if if it's if it's not directly applicable. That's I'm I'm somewhat bastardizing it there, but it, it kind of goes along with the well. I, I agree with these people on on this particular topic. They make sense there. Doesn't always correlate to, and so therefore we will agree on this this even adjacent topic, uh, if not completely unrelated one. Yeah, I've been burned on that so many times, <laughs> so I don't I don't think that way anymore. Um, Okay, so I think the main takeaway from there and the thing that I want the audience to think about, get back to us, localmaxradio at gmail.com, are these inherently technology problems or are they democracy problems? Um, Thinking homework. Um, Okay, can we end this with me ranting about Facebook again? Open the floodgates. Uh, (laughs) This is going to be a different kind of rant, though, than than what we've we've heard in the past. This time it's personal. No, because I'll tell you, I've been try- so what I've been doing on Facebook is I'm trying to get a sense of the ad system. So I promote, I started the Facebook page for the local maximum, and I've promoted some of the shows that we've had. Um, not huge amounts of money, like $10 or $20 a, a show to try to see you know, what the click rate is and what the return on investment is, and just to try to get a, a sense of, of the system, right? And so they wouldn't let me, they rejected my ad for my interview with Clyde Vanell um, because they said it was a political advertisement. Now, let me ask you a question, because I talked to this assemblyman, maybe I talked to him about a few um, proposals that were before the assembly. I talked to him about technology. I didn't mention his political party. I didn't, uh, we didn't talk about whether he's running for re-election, who he's running against, or I don't even know if he's running for re-election. <laughs> we didn't talk about any of that stuff. And I feel like this is not the type of thing that they should disallow. Um, this is not what they're go- they are intending to go after, and yet they're going after it. Now, I could... Um, apply, I could apply to uh, show political ads. And so I did that. So they required my social security number. They required a picture of my driver's license front and back. And then they sent me a letter through the mail. (laughs) So I had to wait like three days and then enter the password from the letter. And then they said, Oh, now you have to have on the bottom of the advertisement paid for blank, fill in the blank and tell us who is paying for this advertisement. So I said, paid for by Max Sklar. That's going to be embarrassing, right? And then so now they just got back to me and said, we reject that tagline. I'm like, but that's the most accurate one that you can have. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, they want you to create a shell corporation uh, based out <laughs> of the Cayman Islands, and then that you know the the uh, the committee for maximum locality can pay for this ad. Yeah. So I you know I thought about it. Is this are these campaign finance laws, or is this a private decision by Facebook? And it's really murky in this case because it's something that Facebook is doing to kind of I, I don't know if it's to appease the government or if it's to like to appease you know after they brought uh, Mark Zuckerberg in, or if it's, I mean, they, they actually started doing this stuff before. Um, I, I would imagine that it has more to do with kind of public backlash public as opposed backlash. to any, any active government regulation being enforced. Um, but, but yeah, campaign finance is, is way out of my area of expertise. Uh, I, I have no yeah. personal experience there. Although I, I'm curious if. I, I, I've got to say though, going through this, like I do feel like my, right to speak is is violated in, in a small way but a very annoying and personal way for me uh through this system that just it, it makes no sense whatsoever yeah well and, and and with the caveat that uh facebook has no requirement to provide you a, a platform for speech sure um, however sure. if if the reason that they are enforcing this, if this is you know regulations and requirements directly handed down from the U.S. government, if it's a piece of law, then then that is ostensibly the government. Uh, well, it's interesting. There. It's so, interesting because so, they did say they did say this is U.S. only policy. Hmm. So that that is interesting to me, um, and it's also interesting. I mean. There are campaign finance laws, like I can't just put up an ad for someone's campaign, but this is in no way an ad for someone's campaign. And so I, I think this does have to do with campaign finance laws. They're trying not to violate. And instead, it just ends up, you know, violating, um, affecting my ability to to get my content out of So my, my question um, would be, uh, how did this get get flagged or raised. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was automated, that it probably had to do with uh, the, the fact that, that, that Clyde's name came up that caused it to pop. Now, when they reviewed it, uh, I, I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that the person did not listen to the episode. They probably just no, looked at your, yeah. at your, your ad, you know, copy. And, and so the act, so I, I, I guess it's there's a big question a there. Very low level what is, is the content of the ad the 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 text and images that post in the ad or because the ad contains a link to the episode is the episode part of the content of the ad well right I, I, and does that that raises the question if i say if i present any political opinion whatsoever on my shows does that mean that i can't advertise them i mean that that sounds insane to me well i i and this this gets into the the campaign finance law questions. I, I believe. I mean, all the only the, if, if I can look at the ad directly, right? Let's just let me see what the ad itself says, right? Uh, so let me pull this. Well, up while here. you're looking for that, I was I was just thinking. Yeah. There's there's definitely a lot more leeway on on what's uh, I guess commonly referred to as issue ads, um, which don't explicitly support or or. Uh, or detract a particular candidate, but they talk about a, a particular issue. Uh, so, uh, in in the last election, you know, you could have an immigration issue ad that never once mentioned the name of Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, 
And because of that, uh, it kind of falls into a completely different category of speech. Uh, but of course, the minute you start calling out candidates by name, then that's a different, you know, a horse of a different color. And now you really so didn't do is. either in, in this ad, I expect, but. No, no, here's, here's, here's what the ad says. Check out my interview with New York State Assembly member Clyde Vanell. We cover Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, blockchain for, oh, I spelled cryptocurrency wrong. I better change that. Uh, blockchain for personal records, automation, entrepreneurship, 3D printing, and the Rubik's Cube. And then a link um, to my show notes page. And then uh, just a bunch of pictures of us talking in his no, office. The, presumably the same and pictures then, that you posted on the show notes page. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing that, that it was just the fact that it, it had, uh, assemblyman Vanell's name in it. Uh, that's, that's what triggered it. Now, why it didn't get, get, uh, de-escalated at the human review level is a little bit surprising to me. Yeah. And I don't know if this paid for by Max Sklar thing is going to work. I'm not sure if they rejected it or if they simply haven't accepted it yet. So we'll see. Maybe by the time this episode is out, we'll we'll find out. So I'll have to talk about it before or after. But uh, man, it's it just goes to show. And another thing to to think about on on this issue is, let's say it's 10, 20 years in the future, and we've successfully decentralized these platforms. Okay. And now you could use cryptocurrency to pay for ads that is unstoppable. What what is the think about what the implications of that? Some people are going to be really upset by that development, um, but I think it's almost inevitable um, that you'll have the free flow of information and the free paid flow of information um, with no government control, um, essentially making all campaign finance laws uh, ineffective, which will have a huge effect on on politics you know forever um i don't want to that that could be a whole show of speculation but definitely yeah, something so to think I, about the, this this talk of decentralized platforms uh makes me think of of another platform i i heard a little bit uh, about uh, not that long ago and and i don't think this is technically decentralized but but it was very much in response to uh, restrictions from some of the mainstream platforms. Um, uh, it, and it was uh, in, in response to, I guess, uh, Patreon and, and Kickstarter uh, being uh, m- becoming more selective about what content they would allow to be, to be posted or hosted there. Uh, and that was the, the release of Patreon, um, which we've, I, I don't know if we've mentioned uh, Cody Wilson's name in passing episodes, but we've oh, definitely yeah. talked about the 3D printed firearm uh, topic in 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 some very cursory detail. But this was Wait, one of his other projects, Patreon. Uh, Patreon was for uh, a Patreon for hate speech, essentially. Yeah, well, I mean, the the I think the concept was we we will host those who who are not who the other sites are unwilling to host. And, and as a right. result, it became kind of a, a, a hive of, of alt-right and, and, and similar uh, programs yeah. because, because uh, if you, you, you wouldn't have a reason to go there if you could use the, the more mainstream uh, options, but, but the idea of, of having uh, alternates, uh, especially in a world where, where Twitter or, or YouTube or, or Facebook are, are booting some, some subgroups uh, and 
thinking maybe more in a in a uh, you know kind of great firewall of China situation or in some other totalitarian regimes where these companies have cut deals with an abusive government, uh, and and so your dissident group may not be able to use that resource. Having an, an alternate uh, platform that is unwilling to to play by those same rules might be a a, a good path for for us to support. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd rather live in a world where, uh, you know, people have a voice that I don't necessarily agree with or, or like, uh, than a world where, you know, voices can be, you know, shut down at will by it. Yeah, and 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 the Hatreon story is 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 it's it's it came to a pretty quick end after it started because I think Visa. Uh, pulled their their credit card processing services so oh, gotcha. uh, well they they solved the the issue of of you know kickstarter and and uh Pat- patreon uh not willing to host they they got around that but, but then uh there's underlying cryptocurrency that also yeah, well, yeah and that's and that's uh i think uh cryptocurrency has been a big piece of how he's uh funding his his current defense distributed business is that he's partnered up with several crypto related right. groups um, to, you to know, I, I went that. to, I, I actually went to a debate on gun control last night. It was at something called the Soho Forum um, down in, it actually wasn't in Soho because it was north of Houston. It was NoHo, <laughs> but it's called the Soho Forum and they host a bunch of debates uh, here in New York City, which are pretty interesting. And it was a, it was a gun control debate pro and con last night and both sides, it, it was actually one of those debates where both sides were actually uh, pretty moderate. So they were debate like the, um, the anti-gun control guy supported background checks and the pro-gun control guy conceded that, you know, sometimes I'm not trying to like, I'm against the total ban. And I, you know, sometimes people have, so it was sort of a debate between, you know, but so it's interesting, but, uh, but I had a feeling that people in the audience were much more radical. Um, and one of the things that come up were 3D printed guns, and they made the point that those are not, those are much more symbolic right now of, haha, we can do this without anyone asking. But in reality, you probably wouldn't want to use one uh, for anything that, uh, you know, you, you probably wouldn't actually want to use a 3D gun uh, over. A yeah, I, I think gun. there's there's some st- stat about you know the, the the files have been downloaded millions of times um, since since they were originally released yeah. and and I would expect the number of people who actually take those files and and attempt to to uh, to construct a, a 3D printed firearm out of them, never mind the small percentage of those that do so successfully, that that it's going to be minuscule. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's not like it just no. comes out and there's your gun. It's it's hard it's hard to get these things right. And they said, yeah, well, "Oh, you shoot we, it and we, like the whole thing melts." We've been by it's plastic. <laughs> it's a plastic gun. We've been my printer, my regular printer doesn't even work. Yeah, PC load letter. Am I right? Uh, yeah, there's a whole generation that doesn't even yeah. know what I'm talking about there. But uh, enough about picking on the youngins. Yeah. Uh, I we we are spoiled by uh, having grown up in in a world where you know kind of Star Trek: The Next Generation and and the uh, the Replicator were were in our you know collective conscious that that we we expect the world of three D printing is you you say you know T Earl Grey hot and boop it goes you know makes some noises and and it materializes there fully formed and steaming. Yeah. 
uh, and and 3D printing as a whole is not there yet, and and certainly not for uh, for the 3D printed plastic gun. Yeah, I mean it may be one day, uh, but uh, certainly not a day is not today. Um, okay, so yeah, we, we've we've drifted pretty far afield there uh, for for a, a Facebook rant about political speech, but yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, let's wrap up a little bit. Um, uh, pushback question that someone could ask me because you know is doesn't Foursquare ban political ads? And the answer is yes, we do. And does Foursquare also use the apps to promote political opinions that its leadership likes? Yes, unfortunately, it does. So that's it's not. I I don't run the company. Well, so um, nor do I. I have an interesting follow-up question to that, yeah. and and may, maybe this is all publicly available, or or maybe it'll take some homework on your part to to look into internally. But uh, so it, it's it's simple enough for Foursquare to say they ban political ads. How do they determine what's a political ad? What is their criteria? Well, that's a good question. I don't think uh, so. They don't ban political ads in general. It's just that there is a like. It, let, let's say it's a swarm. It's, ad. it's a general po- policy stance. Yeah, no, it's not like any political ad is gone. It's like a, a, an ad that's going to annoy you when you check in to get your cup of coffee is like, I don't know if you're uh, like, let's say you check in and get your cup of coffee and then like Alex Jones appears on the screen and rips <laughs> off his shirt and starts <laughs> complaining about the, the demons controlling the country. You might not want to see that when you go to your morning coffee. So uh, you know, we kind of it, it depends how much Foursquare knows about me and, and whether they can judge that that's the type of thing I'd be interested in. Or yeah, not. and anything that's a little bit too, like, I mean, I believe at some point we hosted um, candidate ads, although I'm not sure. Um, it's not a big thing. Most of the ads that have been contentious that we've taken off my uh, um and this is just my impression, uh, so it might not be 100% right, but a lot of the ads that we really didn't like came from Facebook. So hmm. we have Facebook has an ad server or an ad, uh, ad exchange that we use, and sometimes the worst ads come from that, which is why I'm so annoyed that they won't accept my ad. <laughs> because they have all these crappy ads that they're spouting out all over the internet. I'm I'm trying to remember the last set of ads I saw on Swarm, and and these probably aren't the most recent, but the only ones I can remember uh, were for um, I think it was linking to to tracks from a new uh, new music album that had just been released. Yeah. Um, and and so there there was a campaign based around that because I I got the same if not similar ads uh, for, for right. a while. That's fine. That's fine. I, Pandora used to have really annoying ads. I don't know if they, mm. they got maybe slightly less annoying, but they used to have, oh, if I remember correctly, they used to have like those pickup artists in there. Like that would, you'd be listening to your music and they'd be like, you know, uh, well, I've, I, I sleep with a different woman every night and you can read my method and then you can do it too. And it's like, I don't want to listen to this, you know, while I'm just trying to listen to my music. Now, the lyrics of my music are probably <laughs> worse than... Nobody listens not, to the lyrics, though. Yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> but no, I mean, they still have a lot of uh, annoying ads on there. I don't know why they don't. Well, and, and I think we've talked about Pandora and the business model and advertising a little bit before, but one, one thing that I think they've done right for uh, cheapskates like me 
who are not willing to pony up the money for a, a subscription yet um, is almost invariably when I start playing something in Pandora on my phone, at least, I don't know if it does it in the, uh, in the web app, but it'll ask, um, Oh, actually, no, this isn't Pandora. I'm mixing it up with Spotify. Spotify does this. It says, okay. would, would you like to watch this ad? And, and in exchange, we'll give you 30 uninterrupted minutes of music. And hmm. usually, uh, if I'm doing this on my phone, I was like, sure, I'll leave my phone on the table while I walk into the other room and you know, go grab something to drink. And when I come back, the ad is done and, and I'm good to go. Because that's, that that's I prefer that to, you know, in, in between two songs I'm listening to, to get an ad about, uh, you know, the local car dealership or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to get someone from Spotify on the show. Uh, they've been doing some really interesting things. Now, is is Spotify located near you guys? They have a, an office yeah. nearby? Yes, they do. Uh, so they are, I think they're New York based, but they definitely have the, uh, one of their big offices here uh, near the Foursquare office. Cool. So, yeah. All right. Um, I think that's enough for today. We've gone on for um, quite a long time. Um <laughs> I think I got out of everything I wanted to say. Was that uh, any any last words? Any last questions? Well, I, we good? I definitely need to to read some more of that uh, technology review, the the political issue, and and, and yeah. I definitely want to loop back on some of those because I, like I said, I, I I was going through there with a highlighter because there were some things in there that I thought, oh, right on, and there were some things I saw that said, ah, I'm not sure, sure, I agree with that. I, I I'm curious about their methods, so I, I think that would make for okay. some interesting discussion. All right, great. So we'll uh, we'll circle back on that in a future episode. Um, all right, that's uh, that's a wrap. I think that's a wrap. Cool. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot, Aaron, for coming on the show today. Uh, it's been a long day, and uh, <laughs> I I really appreciate it. So my pleasure. All right. So sometimes some of my interviews, I can wait a few weeks before. Uh, publishing the interviews. And, you know, I interview someone today and then I'll say, okay, your local maximum interview will come out in a few weeks. But look at what happens when I do a current events driven show like this and then wait only 11 days to put it out. It's like everything we spoke about has been in the news and in some cases very unexpectedly. So since this, this is now September 24th, probably September 25th by the time you download this, I need to give a few updates as there are elephants in the room as you'll be listening to this. So starting with the easy one, whatever happened with my ad for Clyde Vanell's interview? Did I get that sorted out? No. Turns out, still rejected. This time, you know, I got certified to put out political content, so I can actually do that now because I went through their whole rigmarole. But they said that I can't promote certain volatile financial instruments such as Bitcoin on the Facebook platform. And I told them, I'm not promoting it. I, 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 I'm, I'm not telling people to use a service. I'm not hawking some wallet or some ICO or anything like that. I'm not telling people what to do financially. I'm not selling a, a product. I'm just discussing and learning about the technology and trying to educate the public and talk about you know, important issues surrounding this emerging industry. So it seems like, in my opinion, this is in the public interest to get this out. So I appealed the decision. And what did they say when I appealed the decision? Uh, someone looked at it for 10 seconds and said, yeah, no, you can't run your ad. So I asked, what if I take out the word Bitcoin? And they said, our decision stands. So 
It's so bad. You know, not only do they keep rejecting you, but then they keep on mentioning an appeals process to give you a little bit of hope and suck up your time, and then they crush you again. Uh, So, jerks. So, now on to the public news. Uh, We talked about Cody Wilson at the end of this episode. He's the one going around saying that we can print as many guns as we want. The government isn't going to stop us. And with Hatreon, it was... You know, we can move money and we can try to get around the, the gatekeepers for funding projects. Um, of course, it was Visa, one of the gatekeepers that uh, stopped, stopped them in, in that. But uh, people will keep trying. So in the 11 days since we recorded the episode, uh, Cody Wilson has been charged with a very serious crime uh, in Texas, I believe. He was out of the country at the time, but is currently back out on bail and is going to uh, mount a defense. Uh, you know, we always have to remember that being arrested and charged with a crime is not synonymous with guilt of that crime. And when there are so many people who are interested in stopping Mr. Wilson and his various enterprises, you know, these need to be looked at skeptically. So scary thought, but history shows that people are not above this. So I, you know, all I sa- I'll say is that I hope that our justice system does what it's supposed to do in this case and gets the truth of it. And Finally, also within the 11-day window, we were talking about Pandora ads and their business model and all that, and maybe we were going to discuss it further. Well, now we have to just rewrite the story on this because, you know, it was recently announced that Sirius XM, that Sirius Satellite Radio, is going to buy Pandora for $3.5 billion. So maybe this uh, values a, a Pandora share at a little less than it was in its heyday a few years ago, but this is by no means a fire sale. This is a big bet on streaming music and a big acquisition. So congrats to all the employees and shareholders at Pandora. I hope I see better ads, though. And finally, this is the announcement about the local maximum. In a few days, I will have completed the first of what are some of my major goals for the sabbatical, which is to build a website or portal for the local maximum. I'm pretty happy with how it's coming along. Um, we've got some search features, and this is going to be helpful like for me, and I hope it's helpful for the rest of you, where it's going to be really quick and easy to search for different things, and there, uh, the episodes are going to be organized in different ways, so you can kind of you know, browse what you're looking for a lot more easily. It's more, it's easier on the eye than my blog post is. Um, version one will still be pretty basic. Like I said, we're not going to have commenting. We're not going to have a forum. Um, but I want to see what the what the results are, and, and I want to get some feedback and see see how people are are using it. So. This episode, episode number 33, will be the last episode that's posted on my blog at maxsklar.com slash blog. It'll be the last episode spread on social media through that blog, but hopefully it'll also be the first episode spread on social media through the new website. Uh, So that's exciting. There's also four outstanding guests in my pipeline with discussion on data engineering, Bitcoin, audio and music and management. So definitely look for all, out for all that and uh, let me know uh, what you think when the website comes out. That'll be at localmaxradio.com. So check that out in a few days and have a great week, everyone. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. 
If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxBar. Have a great week. Feel the power. pointed out uh in in that article and i've completely lost my train of thought <laughs> in the podcast yeah um oh god where was i going with that i'll edit it out <laughs> if you find it I'll. oh yeah i had a complete brain fart um it had something to do with um Oh, I know what it is now. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, 